Hello and welcome to Wits Art Social Commentaries. It's a show where we talk about art, culture, literature, history, and a lot more. The audio you are about to hear is the next episode, and the title is Kings of History. Hope you like it. Alexander the Great crossed the great Hindu Kush mountains and entered India for the first time, calling his veteran army halt at the Indus River and demanding that the two rival kings in the region, Hompas and Porus, come to him and submit. Hompas of Taxila surrendered to Alexander, but Porus of Purva resisted and forced Alexander into a climatic battle at the Hydaspes River, which he won nonetheless. Wishing to conquer all India, Alexander marched onwards, but his army mutinied. After reaching upon the river, he was forced to return to Babylonia, as his army refused to march on because of rumours of a massive Indian empire, Magadh. Possessing innumerable legions, further to that in east was the Nanda dynasty which supposedly possess a large force over 2.5 lakh inventory, cavalry, chariots and war elephants. Though he had retreated Alexander's conquest, had destabilized northern empires in India, a fact which would play a key role in what was going to come. In 320 BC, we see that it was man named Chandragupta Maurya who stood victorious. This Indian king's origins are not clear, but most knowledgeable Brahmins suggest that he was a Shudra. More favourable Buddhist texts also say that he was a Kshatriya, or from a warrior's clan. He likely knew about Alexander's stunning conquest and was given a crash course of ancient warfare tactics and geopolitical scenarios, which helped him in his expansion of the empire. After acquiring large lands and armies, he initially attacks the Nanda capital, but after failing a few times, he changed the tactics and conquered the northwestern lands which were already weakened by Alexander. Using his subsistent control over these prosperous regions, he cut off supplies to the capital resulting in the fall of Nanda dynasty. After establishing his realm, he fought many a battle and made an alliance with Seleucus Necton, famously gifting him 500 war elephants in exchange of piece of land and the hand of Seleucus' daughter in marriage, which helped him to get the control of Indian northwestern subcontinent as well. Chandragupta's successor, Bindusara, carrying forward his father's tactics and with his religion tolerance, he was able to push down the people living in the Deccan to gain control of the lands further south. Bindusara had three sons, Susima, Ashoka and Siamak. It seems that the future Mauryan emperor had no chance of ever inheriting the throne because of his mother was a commoner, while the crown prince was the favourite child because his mother was a princess. In those times, the royal kids were often sent away in order to gain knowledge. At the age of 18, 
Ashoka was sent to govern a faraway province. The young Mauryan royal was sent to metropolitan city of Taxila, which was then the Silk Road hub, to look after a task. He accomplished popularity quickly. Taxila being scholarly and cosmopolitan settlement, where intellectual debates were held very often, helped Ashoka's knowledge of the world as well as making him more tolerant and sophisticated. His next appointment was at the Ujjaini city, capital of Avanti. The high quality of governorship Ashoka provided is shown by the fact that he was interested with the station and administering such a crucial region connecting the capital city and coast. In this new station, Ashoka fell in love with Devi, the daughter of the trader. Interestingly, she was the member of the Sakya clan of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha himself. It is widely thought she was a Buddhist upon bearing Ashoka his two children, Mahindra and Sanghamitra. This relatively peaceful life would come to an end when in 274 BC, Emperor Bindusara passed away. What happened next is the subject of much debate, but it though that there was a brief four-year civil war between Ashoka and his brothers by acting decisively and swiftly occupying the capital city because he was supported by his father's advisors. Ashoka reigned victorious over his brothers and was crowned as emperor in 270 BC. After he had ascended to the throne, Ashoka continued a policy of warfare expansion and conquest. One of the reasons of the persistent policy of warfare was that in this period all Indian rulers wanted to be Chakravartin, the king of kings. By then, for royal rivals, practical and economic reasons were also important as taxes were the only source of revenue for the modern empire. The more land the kings conquered, the more tax they gained. However, the military and administrative expenditure increased leading to an endless cycle of violence. In 262 BC, the massive Mauryan army marched into the kingdom of Kalinga. Their past successes would likely have made them confident for an easy victory, but the king and his armies faced a tough grinding conflict against their courageous enemy. It is said that Ashoka eventually won the war not because Kalinga surrendered, but because the carnage was so terrible. After the final battle, victorious king stood amongst the dying or the dead foes of the battlefield. Most monarchs would have simply rejoiced in their victory, but Ashoka felt the horror and remorse. He realized that all the land that he conquered would have no meaning if there are no people left to rule. It ended up being the key moment of his life. Supposedly, one and a half lakh captured, more hundred thousand were slaving, and many families' sons died. More than just being horrified by the direct result of the devastation, it made Ashoka aware of the tragedy that struck there left behind. Thus, the young sons left without the father and poor mother who had been robbed. The educated and sensible Ashoka appears to have been truly aware of the real cost of war. Admitting publicly what a king never did before, Ashoka felt remorse of having conquered Kalinga 
making him declare that this was not right and the gods were angry with this this was clearly not the same man speaking who had annihilated his brothers and seized the throne by blood rather it was changed man finally admitting to his mistakes and thinking of only futility and tragedy of the war henceforth said the king that he was not going to be provoked into barring arms and dedicated his life in huge wealth towards building a society where people lived by the meaning and virtue of good moral behavior this change of heart led ashoka to the teachings of buddha who had preached the same values two centuries earlier he was the first king in history to convert to this profound religion which begins revolution contrary to what people to what popular legends depict ashoka did not immediately convert to buddhism but fully and practically thought and chose a path which would benefit both him and the welfare of his subjects but the hindu brahmanic faith and religion were still dominant ashoka erected pillars and carved rocks with his royal orders these proclamations were routinely read out to the illiterate population by his officials sometimes they were personal messages by ashoka himself propagating the ideas of moral buddhism in spite everything ashoka was an emperor above all and not a religious teacher he studies amongst monks and philosophers but also was committed to the duty to running an empire the neighboring kingdoms always were looking for opportunities to attack but ashoka defended his empire fiercely and reluctantly he made clear that even if being a non-violent practitioner the attacks would face repercussions he remained a stern father like figure to his subjects he made sure to instill values of dharma against his subjects in this way he was the first indian king to think of the welfare of the poor rather than just using them for tax revenues he was titled chakravartin the king of the kings and considered great in history